Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at DesMoinesMetroOpera.org. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. The Seven Times is a video project designed to highlight Black-owned businesses and the people behind them. The series is posted on Instagram and Twitter, and so far, followers have gotten an inside look at two Black-owned businesses in Iowa and two in California. The man behind this project is Nick Heffman. He is an associate producer for CBS Mornings. He's also a graduate of Iowa State University. He's from California and has returned to California to work in CBS. CBS's L.A. Bureau, but he wanted to make sure Iowa and Iowans were also represented in this work. Here is an excerpt from one of the videos featuring Steve Kitchen from STC Dive Center. Most people don't expect to see a black in diving unless they were in the military, which I was not. It's not unusual in in some foreign countries, but here in the U.S. it's odd whether it's in Iowa or elsewhere. It's just one of those things that Uh, Blacks don't necessarily get exposed to something like this. I got exposed to it because I was a lifeguard. How many lifeguards in the Midwest are black, you know, except for certain areas? So unless you're exposed to it, you really don't think of it as being a recreational type of activity. Nick Heffman, creator of The Seven Times, is here with me now. Hello, Nick. Hello. uh, Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for being here. And tell me about the inspiration for this project. Well, I mean, the wheels began to turn for this project in 2020 when uh, really when the protests against police brutality were happening around the nation. And, you know, it kind of made me look in the mirror and and ask myself, what am I doing to make a difference? How can I use my skill set to make a difference? And also, you know, like a lot of people during the pandemic, uh, you know, I had the chance to also look in the mirror and think, you know, what am I doing, you know, with my career, with my skill set, with my life? And again, how can I make a difference and how can I do it in my own way, selfishly? So that's when the wheels began to turn for for seven times. All right. And selfishly, I think that's the wrong word because there doesn't seem to be anything selfish about about this project at all. But um, I do recall as the protests were building around the country, there was a movement of people saying, hey, invest in Black-owned businesses, people publishing lists of Black-owned businesses that you could you know, go to in your own community or that you could order from online. You started thinking about this project at that time. Was there something in particular that made you think, oh, you know, investing in these businesses or or raising the profile, amplifying the stories of these businesses could be really powerful? Well, I mean, through my work as a journalist and through my work with CBS, I've come across so many black business owners who, you know, just do conversations that told me about some of the struggles they had gone through in terms of getting help for starting their business or how they came from really tough situations, you know, to get to where they are today to become the inspirational figures that they are being successful black entrepreneurs. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just so many times I thought, you know, I really want to tell this story and I kind of want to tell it now. I think people want to hear about this stuff right now. Um, and I think now more than ever, people need a reason to be inspired and be uplifted. You know, so a lot of it came, a lot of that inspiration came from talking to black business owners, just, you know, as a regular civilian walking around or as a regular patron, but also, you know, through my work at CBS and just thinking like, man, a lot of people would benefit from hearing the story. 
and you know, I've kind of just landed on, hey, I'm I'm just going to do it myself. So, what does the seven times mean? So the seven times, it's a it's a play on a theory in economics that when you invest in a local business, uh, that investment rolls over seven times in the community. So you know, the idea behind these videos is like, you know, I'm showing people why it's important to invest in your local black-owned businesses, but I also kind of want to show how they're involved in their community and how that dollar is rolling over. Um, so I kind of make it a point to highlight businesses that have a physical presence in their community or regular interaction with community members so I can really show people how that dollar is rolling over. It's not enough to just say that the dollar rolls over. I just want to be able to show people how how it's benefiting not only the black-owned business, but how that black-owned business is um, benefiting the community and, and the people around it. You came to Iowa to go to college, and you're from California. You're living in California now. And I am so pleased that Iowa business owners are being um, highlighted by your work. But why? Why maintain that connection to this state where, you know, you spent quite a few years, but uh, this is not your home? I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's not, you know, where I was raised per se, but I spent my adult formative years in Iowa and I learned all the skills that I have now in Iowa. And, uh, you know, in Iowa, this, whatever, everything I learned in Iowa, the connections I developed in Iowa allowed me to, you know, foster the career that I have now and be successful in what I'm doing now. So coming back to Iowa and making it, making Iowa the central focus, especially to start out and establish this project is really my way of not only giving back to uh, Black-owned businesses, Black people, but also giving back to the state that gave so much to me. That must be a logistical challenge. How are you making this work? Because you work full-time at CBS. Um, yeah, you know, I just I just find ways. I just, I just find ways to make it work. Uh, where there's a will, there's a way. And, uh, you know, this, this project is mission-driven. It's not driven by fi- finances. Uh, so, you know, I can't, I'm, you know, I'm not going to let travel logistics get in the way of my overall mission. And it's not about my inconveniences. It's, it's about highlighting these black owned businesses and telling their stories so that, you know, I'll, I'll always find a way to make that work. What is your vision for this project? Because if people who follow you on Twitter or on Instagram and, and you can find the project by searching for the seven times. They've seen these videos, they've seen these business owners, and, and you know, it's it's a really beautiful um, project. What do you see happening with it in the future? In the future, I want to take it across the Midwest, go to visit different states across the Midwest, and then also do it around the nation. Um, you know, I'd like I said, to start out and probably for the foreseeable future, maybe even for the next five years or so, you know, a lot of these businesses that I'll be working with and a lot of my partnerships will be in the Midwest. So I see myself, uh, like I said, going across the Midwest to cover different Black-owned businesses. But also, um, you know, as the project grows, I'll look to take on student journalists and interns uh, who will help me out, you know, because I can't be in every state covering every Black-owned business. But, you know, I'm sure that there are students in Louisiana or students you know, in Florida or in Massachusetts who, uh, who, who, you know, are patrons of a Black-owned business that has an inspirational story. So I want to give opportunities to young videographers, young social media experts, 
young uh, writers to be able to contribute to this project as well. Um, and so I, you know, not only do I want to make this fruitful for uh, black owned businesses, but I also want to teach people, you know, some of the hard lessons that I'm learning doing this on my own. And also that I've learned, you know, in my career in general. What has response been like so far? I mean, there are so many things out there. There's a whole lot of noise out there. So I can imagine that it's a, a little bit challenging to, to really um, get as much attention as you want. But tell me what it's been like so far. I mean, the response has been really great. Uh, you know, people have been really supportive. People have not had a single negative thing to say about it. Um, so, you know, everybody's found inspiration in it. A lot of people have been, I mean, my favorite comments are the ones where they're saying, yo, I didn't know that we had a, a scuba shop in Des Moines. I didn't know, you know, I can learn how to scuba dive in Iowa. Or some people are saying, you know, when it came to Paola's story, it was like, wow, I'm really interested in hearing more of her story and looking at her products. Her products are amazing. So, um, and she has a lot of passion in her projects. So those are my favorite types of comments. And those are the types of comments that I've been getting. You know, it's all been positive. It's all been great. And everybody has liked their videos so far. And you mentioned Paula. Uh, she owns Piedras Haseya Jewelry. And um, so she's, she's an independent business owner who's making really, really beautiful jewelry. And um, she shares her story in a series of videos that, that you have posted. How are you connecting with these black business owners in Iowa? So I have a partnership right now with the Evelyn K. Davis Center and DMAC. Um, basically, you know, that last year I had reached out to them to, you know, present the idea of this project. Uh, they were receptive to the project, and they gave me a list of businesses that they've helped. I mean, if they've helped, I mean, you know, Ahmed could give you a better number, but, you know, hundreds and hundreds of businesses, um, especially with owners of under, from underrepresented communities. Um, so they gave me a list to start out with, and uh, I just hit the ground running from there. So I have, like, I mean, when I came to Iowa for a couple weeks, I shot with about six businesses. I got, like, three more from the initial list to do. And, uh, you know, I, and hopefully we'll be able to do a lot more in the future. But, you know, uh, I have at least six right now uh, in my computer right now that I just need to put together. So, you know, there's gonna, for the coming months, you can look out for plenty more Iowa businesses. To oh, come. wonderful. And, and I will be talking with Ahmed Ajiman, who's the director of the Evelyn K. Davis Center for Working Families in just a moment. Um, and Nick, how are you funding this project? Because obviously you are fitting this in around the margins of your full-time work. Um, how are you making it possible, given that there is a whole lot of travel and a whole lot of equipment and a whole lot of time and effort? One way I've been making this possible is through uh, my partnership with DMAC and the Evelyn K. Davis Center. So, you know, not only are we getting the word out about the Black businesses that they help, but we're also getting the word out about their services to let other possible black entrepreneurs know like, hey, you could find success at, through DMAC. You could also find success in Iowa in general. But other business owners who are not all black owned, but they believe in the vision and they believe in the project have also agreed to sponsor my project. So um, the support has come from other business owners and again, through the Evelyn K. Davis Center and DMAC. And I'm looking to secure uh, more partnerships with other organizations that are helping Black-owned businesses, because I think it's very important for Black people and Black entrepreneurs to know that they can find success in places other than, you know, 
LA, New York, or giant cities. You can find success in a place like Iowa. You can, and there are services to help you. You have options. So I want to partner with more organizations who offer services to help underrepresented businesses and entrepreneurs and bring more light to the services. Nick, stay with me. We're going to take a short break here. I'm talking with Nick Heffman. He is an associate producer for CBS Mornings. He's a graduate of Iowa State University, and he is the creator of The Seven Times. It's a video project designed to highlight Black-owned businesses in Iowa and California and eventually all over the country. The series is posted on Instagram and Twitter. You can search for it by searching for The Seven Times. We'll continue our conversation in a moment. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at DesMoinesMetroOpera.org. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we're talking about The Seven Times. It's a video project designed to amplify the stories of Black businesses. And so far, it's been amplifying the stories of Black businesses, Black-owned businesses in Iowa and California. It will eventually include businesses in other parts of the country as well. You can follow the project on Twitter and Instagram at The Seven Times. I've been talking with Nick Heffman, who is the creator of the project. And I want to play a little bit from a- another video. This one features Paula Elena Acuna. She is the owner of Piedras Hesea Jewelry. Piedras is a Spanish word. It means stones. In Hasilla, it means she rises or to rise up in the Navajo language. My logo is a mountain uh, with the sunrise in the back and the rivers. You know, the stones come from the mountains and the rivers. It represents how, you know, we just rise out of simple things. We all want to thrive. Doesn't matter where we come from, right? Doesn't matter the color of our skin. We all want to do something meaningful. We are talking about the video project, The Seven Times. Nick Heffman, creator of the project, is still with me. And the project is made possible in part by the Evelyn K. Davis Center for Working Families at Des Moines Area Community College. And Dr. Ahmed Ajiman is the director of the center. Ahmed, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Charity. Thank you so much for being here. And first of all, I would love for you to to just give people who are not familiar with the work of the Evelyn K. Davis Center um, a little bit of background. You help a lot of people who are trying to start businesses in Iowa, right? Yes. Uh, thank you again for having us. Um, so the Evelyn K. Davis Center for Working Families at Des Moines Area Community College uh, was established in 2012, uh, 2002. Uh, we are right in the downtown campus area, uh, right in the 50314 uh, zip code area. And our mission is to help people connect uh, our community with career goals and achieve financial uh, stability. Um, and we do that uh, in about seven different areas, uh, one of them being our small business uh, solution center. We have a Polk County Financial Empowerment Center, which helps our Polk County residents uh, with uh, financial literacy, setting budgets, uh, 
helping them with credit scores, you know, applying for mortgages. Uh, we also have a very, uh, very, very strong uh, summer youth employment program. Uh, we have a job coaching uh, uh, program here where we help our community also uh, work with employers uh, to seek for jobs. And then we offer ELL, uh, English language learner classes and computer skills classes here at the center. So how did you, um, as the Evelyn K. Davis Center, how did you get connected with Nick for this project? Yeah, so uh, with our uh, parent um, organization, DMAC, um, our president, uh, President Rob Danson, has been very, very supportive of the center. Actually, he was part of the initial funding leaders uh, in 2002 when the center was founded. Uh, with a partnership with the Community Foundation here at Des Moines, uh, United Way, and uh, a few other uh, partners in our community. Uh, so uh, President Denson had reached out, uh, knowing the work that we are doing here in the community, working with our small businesses, especially from underrepresented groups. Um, he reached out and uh, made a connection uh, for Nick and I to to talk, and uh, we definitely found value in the work that Nick was doing. And um, yeah, so we started last fall, and uh, we just been getting some good, good work from uh, from Nick to help support you know our community, uh, small business community, tell their story. Well, and and I know, I mean, telling your story that's a big part of how a small business succeeds. To have Nick's help in this way and to see these videos, what has your reaction been, Ahmed, looking at at these videos? Yeah, so I think uh, because we, you know, when I say we, I'm, I'm talking about our team here. We have a really good team uh, of uh, small business consultants uh, here in the building. Uh, we, uh, you know, obviously are meeting with clients every day and don't really, I don't think we get a chance to reflect and, and, and look at, you know, the individual stories of our clients. Uh, you know, as, as Nate has been sending out the videos, uh, I've really got a chance to go back and, and play a few of them multiple times. And, and by going back, you know, I've learned, I've learned so much about our, our small business entrepreneurs than I did. Uh, just to listen, you know, um, you know, in the evening when I'm home, or, or in, in, you know, just just to sit and listen, play the videos, and just listen to their stories. I've just learned a lot more than I actually have, uh, even working, you know, directly with them. So it's it's definitely been great. Well, and Nick, I want to bring you back into the conversation. When you're creating these videos, you've created a series of videos, uh, and they're, of course, short videos. You're sharing them through social media. You've created a series of videos for each one of the businesses that you've profiled. Tell me, when you connect with somebody and you are preparing to tell their story, what's your approach? So, I mean, my approach is, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's about Every business has a has a story of, you know, where they came from, um, how the idea was conceived, uh, what challenges they had and uh, and, you know, what they're doing now. Um, And also, you know, I always try to get a little bit of, you know, what does it mean to be a black business owner and find success um, in the United States, but also in a predominantly white state like Iowa? And also, uh, what is it you know, what has their career done for them? Uh, what is, you know, so I try to get to the essence of those questions. Um, and then in the case of, you know, help of covering DMAC and the Evelyn K. Davis Center and their services, you know, I want to I make sure that 
in that interview, they speak honestly to the services that the Evelyn K. Davis Center offers. And, you know, everybody has really praised the Evelyn K. Davis Center and some of the uh, workers there that are there helping the business. They've all sang their praises, you know, and I, I didn't have to ask them to do that. You know, all I ever ask is, how has the Evelyn K. Davis Center helped you? And then it's just nothing. But, I mean, their eyes light up every time. But, you know, in essence, you know, that's how I approach every interview is just, how did you conceive the idea? You know, wh- where did you come from? How, you know, how did you land upon the career that you're finding success in now? What does it mean to be a black business owner in the U.S.? And, and again, in the case of Iowa, predominantly white state like Iowa. And then in the case of the businesses that are helped out by DMAC and the Evelyn K. Davis Center, you know, just please speak to their services and how they've helped you. And like I said, every time their eyes light up and they have nothing but great things to say. And it's, it's really, um, you know, it really makes you want to tell more of these stories and let people know that there are people out there that will help you, you know, live your dream or help raise you out of your circumstances. Or, you know, it might not even be the worst of circumstances, but, but you know. It can help you succeed. Yeah. yeah, help you succeed. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, sorry, that was a long-winded answer. No, that's great. What What do you feel like you've learned about I mean, you you are in sort of the early days of this project and, um, you know, you have many, many more stories to tell. But what have you learned so far from talking to black business owners in Iowa about the challenges that they do face? Because, I mean, obviously you're, you're talking to people who have turned to the Evelyn K. Davis Center for help and support, but they're still out there, you know, trying to to make a living, make ends meet, to succeed. And that's a really challenging situation. What do you think you've learned from these individuals? Well, the common thread is, you know, is usually it has to do with the lack of financial support. Pretty much every business I've talked to has talked about how hard it was for them to even get a loan versus maybe some other businesses that were able to get them easier. Um, you know, they, they've all had really difficult times dealing with financial, financial institutions and organizations that could help them financially. Um, and it really seems to be unique to the Black-owned business owners that I've talked to. And also, like, you know, in the case of Steve Kitchen, you know, he's looking to get more uh, local support for his uh, initiative that helps teach kids um, of all backgrounds how to scuba dive. And he said in the in, in the interview, and you'll see in one of the videos, that uh, he spoke to how tough it was for him to get a loan, and he actually was able to open his lo- current location with help from his mother, and he was able to pay her back within a year. And he spoke to how you know it was really difficult for him to get a loan, and um, he also spoke to, like I said, he wants more support to be able to expose um, kids of of various backgrounds to scuba diving and to the really lucrative opportunities that come with scuba diving that a lot of people aren't exposed to or have no knowledge of. Well, and Ahmed, I'll turn back to you because we do know that it is harder for um, people of color to get loans in this nation. We know that it's harder in Iowa. There's been research that has shown that that is the case um, in spite of, of, you know, rules and good intentions. Um, so when people come to you, especially people of color who are, are hoping to try to make a business a success, how can you help them navigate this world that that often is biased against them? Sure. So uh, thank you again. Um, for, you know, for majority of our small businesses that, that come in, 
you know, they, it, it really depends on what what stage they are um, at that time. Uh, for majority of our small businesses, they're really just walking in uh, with questions about, you know, filing with the Secretary of State office, uh, trying to get help, you know, with a business plan, uh, registering their business with uh, the initial uh, business ID number with the federal government. Um, you know, like Nick said, um, you know, raising capital is definitely the number one uh, issue that, you know, our small business um, partners or clients usually uh, have to uh, deal with or struggle with. We have uh, some local partners that we work with very closely. Uh, the One Economy uh, Financial Corporation uh, is one of our local partners um, that has been able to award uh, small business loans, you know, uh, not not a bank, a traditional bank loan, but but a non-traditional loan um, at a really low interest rate for our small business partners, for example. Uh, we also uh, recently partnered with the International Rescue Committee uh, through uh, Lutheran Services of Iowa right here in uh, Des Moines uh, to serve our immigrant and refugee uh, small business-led uh, small business uh, clients. So there are some, um, not really a, a lot, and um, you know there are some organizations that are working very closely with the center uh, to make sure that at least our small businesses have some type of uh, non-traditional loans. But the goal is obviously to get them to um, be successful. So even when they apply, when our small business clients apply for those loans, uh, we have them go through a CPA or an accountant uh, at no cost to make sure that they, their revenue, their expense sheets um, look good, and that they we're not setting them up um, to uh, to fail, so to speak. That the chances of repayment um, is going to be really high. Nick, let me ask you. I can see multiple things that you are accomplishing or hoping to accomplish with these videos. But when you think about the audience for these videos, who who do you have in mind? Who do you want to be watching them? Well, I mean, I want everybody to be watching them, and, and, and they're especially people who are looking to better themselves. Anybody who's looking to become an entrepreneur and wants guidance, or anybody looking to further their education uh, and then wants guidance, or anybody looking to really establish a solid career um, that they can maintain for the next decade or two. Um, anybody can find inspiration in these stories, and anybody can take take advantage of services, you know, like the ones provided by the Evelyn K. Davis Center. So, yeah, that's why that's what these videos are kind of made for. Um, you know, they're they're more so they're all, you know, they're none of them. They're not political. They're not, uh, you know, they're not so much to talk about a struggle as much as they are to inspire hope and in, in people looking for it um, at the end of the day. So watching the videos, I find it to be inspiring, but it also makes me want to be more intentional about where I spend my money and, and supporting local businesses. Is that also part of your hope? I mean, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I definitely I try to shop local as much as I can. You know, I have friends that sell products. And that's another point of inspiration. Is that I have so many friends who have started businesses that sell their, you know, that sell clothing, that do tattoos, they do all kinds of stuff. Um, they do hair, and I always try to support them whenever I can. So yes, absolutely. I wanna encourage people to shop local in general, but also support your local black business um, because you know they're doing, they're doing a lot more with that money than, than you think, um, than, than you can see when you go in and get your hair cut or when you go buy jewelry 
or when you go buy your scuba gear, there's a there's a lot more that goes that your do, your dollar goes a lot further than what you can see, you know, with your purchase. Right. So of course I want to encourage people to shop local and and of course shop black. And Ahmed, you were talking about um, an opportunity for people who live in Polk County to come to the Evelyn K. Davis Center for support um, with starting their businesses or investing in their businesses. Do you also serve people who are outside of the Polk County area? Um, because of our location and, you know, uh, you know, access to easy access to or to find where we are really, we're just right on University and Sixth Avenue. Uh, we really get, um, I say, over eighty percent of our our uh, small business entrepreneurs usually will come from Polk County or the Des Moines area. Um, we do have um, a very strong uh, virtual uh, remote programming, um, and and we usually get um, or have uh, some of our clients join in from outside the Des Moines area. Um, again, because of our affiliation with DMAC. Uh, we do have, you know, our uh, provost at each of the DMAC uh, six campuses and six sites usually will distribute all of our information uh, to the DMAC um, service district that, that, you know, DMAC has campuses and centers. Uh, but, yeah, with especially, you know, after 2020, uh, uh, we switched um, into a virtual programming and um, some of our programming has continued to stay the same uh, to offer online classes because uh, we do see, um, I'll say, more people attending than, than not show up. Um, so it's it's helped. Uh, we we do not tend, uh, you know, clients away. Anyone that reaches out, uh, we will be uh, more than happy to, to serve them. And we just have about a minute left. Nick, um, help help me look to the future. I know that you want to profile many other businesses, many other individuals in Iowa and around the country. You're also hoping to expand your reach within the state of Iowa, right, to, to go beyond uh, central Iowa to tell stories in other parts of the state. Yes, there are, um, you know, there are other organizations in other parts of the states that are offering similar services or may have partnered with the Evelyn K. Davis Center at some point or, you know, and I want to partner with those organizations around the state in Iowa to do the same thing I'm doing now to not only bring shine to their services, but also tell the stories of some of those business owners that they've helped. Nick Hefman, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Nick Heffman is the creator of The Seven Times. It's a video project designed to amplify the stories of black businesses in Iowa, California, and eventually other parts of the country. You can follow the project on Twitter and Instagram. Search for The Seven Times. And Ahmed Ajiman, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Ahmed Ajiman is the director of the Evelyn K. Davis Center for Working Families at Des Moines Area Community College, and they have partnered with Nick Heffman and the Seven Times Project. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. 
It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. On June 17, 2015, a self-proclaimed white supremacist entered Emanuel Africa Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, where he murdered nine people, church members who were gathered for Bible study. This racially motivated massacre was a galvanizing moment for many, including my next guest, artist and activist Bree Newsom. Even as South Carolina and the nation mourned, the South Carolina State House continued to fly the Confederate battle flag, an emblem of white supremacy that had been posted and displayed by the mass murderer before he committed his crime. Newsom decided to remove the flag, and on June 27, 2015, she climbed the flagpole and took it down. She was then arrested by waiting police, but the image of her a black woman removing this symbol of hate spread far and wide, and two weeks later, the flag was officially removed from South Carolina's state house. Bree Newsom has continued her work, and she also travels the country sharing her message. She'll be speaking at Iowa State University on Monday at 6 p.m. in the Great Hall of the Memorial Union, where she'll be giving the 2023 Martin Luther King Jr. keynote. And she is on the line with me now. Hello, Bree. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for being here. And I know you have talked about that event back in 2015 many times, but I would love for you to take me back in time. When did you decide that you would climb that flagpole and take that flag down? Well, the Confederate flag in South Carolina, that had been a a site of protest for years, you know, Um, and obviously being from the Carolinas, I was aware of that. I Remember in the year 2000 when they reached this compromise where they first moved the flag from the top of the Capitol building itself to the lawn. And so then, like you said, in 2015, in the aftermath of these horrible events, it just, you know, created further this horrific visual where you had the United States flag lowered, but the Confederate flag was still at the top of the pole because of this law that they had passed saying that it couldn't be lowered for any reason. Um, And so I had always, of course, been opposed to the display, but it was those events in particular. And then, of course, everything that was going on at that time, this was, um, you know, just a year after um, Ferguson. This was not long after the killing of Walter Scott. He was a black man who was killed by police in North Charleston. It was in the context of all of that, that the protest occurred. And it, it was, again, about sending this message, um, not not just about racism, but particularly state-sponsored racism and, you know, for the government to be displaying um, such blatantly racist symbols. You know, in, in the case of the Confederate flag in South Carolina, this was a flag that they had raised in the 60s. You know, it's just like a very blatant statement of opposition to the civil rights movement, which was going on at the time. Um, and so it was, you know, in the spirit of that, in the spirit of nonviolent direct action and and really just taking a stand against terrorism in general, which is what that flag represents, um, that I got together with others. And, um, you know, we climbing the pole kind of was the method that was necessary. uh, And I ended up being the one to volunteer specifically for that role. That was an incredibly brave action, a very public action. And I feel like even braver because as a 30-year-old woman, climbing a flagpole was probably not something you had done before. Uh, what no. <laughs> what did you feel taking on that challenge? Uh, you know, so uh, no, I had not had a lot of experience climbing. Um, somebody had to train me on doing that. 
but but really what brought me to the moment of feeling like I can do this, I'm, you know, I'm willing to face the fear was the fact that so many people have faced greater uh, threats, right? You know, when I, when I think about all of the people who have protested, oh, not just over the years, but really over the centuries for freedom from slavery, for freedom from oppression. I mean, people have, have faced horrific violence, um, have faced a lot of threats. It, it, it took courage for them to do what they did. And so it was kind of like in that same spirit that I was certainly trying to embody in that moment in a very real way um, to, to really protest and really represent in a lot of ways the history of that struggle. You know, of course, like I said, that flag was directly tied to um, the civil rights movement that had been going on for decades and decades, uh, you know, at that point. Um, and, and then the other thing was also the recognition that people were being killed for no reason at all. You know, in the case of um, Emanuel AME in Charleston, these were people who were gathered for a Bible study, you know, and they were targeted simply because they were black and they were at a historically black church. And so in a circumstance like that, you know, what does it mean to not have courage? You know, um, I, I think that there's, there's a certain point where we have to take a stand against that kind of terrorism and fear. And for me, not just in terms of the protest, but, you know, on a personal level, as you know, somebody who's descended from people who were enslaved in South Carolina and, you know, being born in the Carolinas, it was personal for me to also say, you know, I won't allow this kind of fear and terrorism um, to stop us demanding equality and freedom. This action was very much in the tradition of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his belief in the power of nonviolent protest. And I know that that is it's a term that gets talked about a lot. A lot of people think about his methods and his philosophy of nonviolence in different ways. I know that, that that philosophy is an important part of your work. Tell me how you think about it. Yes. I mean, I, so I think that nonviolence is largely still misunderstood as a philosophy, right? Like I think a lot of times when people say or use the term nonviolent, they often think of it in terms of protest. And they think of it as a tactic. And, you know, it's a conversation of was the protest, was the protest violent or nonviolent, right? Um, but the philosophy of nonviolence, like Martin Luther King was speaking of, um, and then before him, like Mahatma Gandhi, it's really about challenging violence as it exists in the society itself, right? So the purpose of the nonviolent action is really to expose the violence that exists. So by using a nonviolent direct action and taking the flag down, when you see, you know, there was a, a one point where the police threatened to tase me, <laughs> you know, um, they had like three tasers trained on me. Now, why is that? That's because they have been paid by the state, the same state that is displaying the Confederate flag, to use violence against anybody who might touch the flag. Now, I'm not being violent, and I told them that I was, you know, not going to be violent. This was nonviolent. I'm taking it down in protest, and then I'm, you know, surrendering to be arrested. Um, but the whole purpose of nonviolent, not just nonviolent direct action as a tactic, but as a movement is that through, um, through nonviolence, you expose what is truly violent in the situation. Um, and, I, and I think that it was successful in that way because I think that's what people witnessed, right? 
what does the flag really represent? Why is it here? Um, what does it mean that we are focusing more attention in many ways on the display of the flag than on the, the conditions that led to a young white man going into a church and murdering people simply because they were black, right? Um, and then it allows us to have that, not just a larger conversation, but really to, to broaden the demand beyond not just taking down a flag, but really dismantling the violence that has been in this society for so many generations. So many things have happened since 2015, and uh, you've been very involved as an activist and uh, have traveled the country connecting with, particularly with young people. But before we, we, we talk about your message for young people, I do want to talk about one of the things that has happened in, in the last few years, and that was the insurrection at the United States Capitol on January 6th, where we saw people taking over the Capitol building and carrying that Confederate battle flag, that symbol that you took down. What was your response to seeing that happen? I remember that moment very vividly, and it was, it was shocking and not shocking. You know, it's, it's, it's like it's shocking to see it, but then it's not shocking in the context of the history of this country, in the context of um, what is still going on. I, you know, I think the reality is that the Civil War and the, the underlying cause of it, which was slavery, which, you know, of course, is directly tied to racism, was never really resolved. You know, um, we are often kind of taught a history that, you know, slavery ended, uh, you know, and then that was a, a resolved matter. But that's not really what happened. And that's why we ended up with a civil rights movement 100 years later, you know, where we're, we're still trying to pass voting rights and, and things that were, you know, supposed to have been cemented after the Civil War, like voting rights, right? Um, issues over basic equality, access to education, um, these things that we are still talking about today. Um, and, and so that's why it's so important to me to speak to young people in particular, because I really do believe that education is such a major cornerstone of how we address these issues. When we think about things like Confederate monuments and Confederate flags, a lot of these things were put on display in the 20th century. And I think that's important for people to understand, too, right? These things don't date directly to the Civil War for the most part. These were things that were put up to um, really kind of normalize segregation and Jim Crow, and to really do a lot of um, erasure of the, of the accurate history of the Civil War. And when you have that kind of erasure of history, when you don't really deal with, you know, what has taken place, you end up with situations like what we had on January 6th. We also have situations being played out in state houses uh, around the country right now, states like Florida, states like Iowa, where legislation is put forward in an effort to control how we talk about race in our classrooms, in our universities, even how we have conversations about race in this country. What are your thoughts about that movement that, that seems to be very powerful? Yes, I mean, I think that is, again, a direct reaction 
to the efforts to properly educate everyone on the history, right? We have, we have been in for a number of years now um, a real moment of reckoning is, that, is how I would describe it. Like, I don't think anything is settled. But I think there has been a real kind of awakening, right? Uh, I mean, that's the word that comes up a lot is, you know, people saying woke. They talk about like anti-woke act. Um, it's because there has really been this real awakening. There has been this shifting in the consciousness um, in recent years, um, really recognizing how much racism is still a, um, just a, a vitriolic force in this country. And it touches every aspect of our lives and it's harming all of us. I think that's the other realization uh, that people are coming to. And in the same way that you have people who are fighting for change and have always been pushing for um, greater democracy and greater equality and freedom, you have had an equal and opposite force of people who want to prevent the true realization of multiracial democracy. Um, I think that's been, that was the heart of the Civil War conflict. I think that's the heart of January 6th. And that's really what's at the heart of this um, effort to ban books, to attack um, black history, um, and, and really to just bar people from having access to information. You spend a lot of your time traveling around the country talking to people. What is your message? What are you hoping to share uh, with the audiences that gather to hear you? Oh, well, I mean, in addition to really trying to make history present for people, and especially when it comes to um, commemorations for Martin Luther King Jr. in particular, because I think sometimes, you know, Martin Luther King seems like this figure from long, long ago. Um, and I think his message is actually more relevant than ever. So I, I really like to make history present for everyone. But in addition to that, I really want to call everyone to examine what they can do. Because I, I think a lot of times, you know, I identify as an activist, and I think people often have this image of activism, you know, it, it always looks extraordinary, like the action of taking the flag down. But really, um, change in society, it's always come from a million people doing a million different things in a million different places, right? Um, a lot of people are already engaged in activism and may not recognize it. And I think what really makes the difference is our ability to be aware of it, like to be conscious of what we're doing, um, to really think strategically about what we're doing, and to recognize what we can contribute. And, and so that's my main message to everyone. You know, I share my personal experience with it. I never thought I would have been an activist. <laughs> that's one of the first things I tell people in my story is, like, I, I had not anticipated this being a part of what I would be doing. Um, but I, I challenge everyone to examine what they can do because these times demand it. I mean, we have so many crises. We are really at a fork of the road, in my opinion, in terms of, of where we are going as a society. And I, I think the only way to go in the right direction is for everyone to identify what they could do. We, of course, uh, marked Martin Luther King Jr. Day last week. We are fast approaching February, which is known as Black History Month. And and I know many people are are really hoping that we can get beyond the holiday and beyond the one month where we talk about black history, but it also does feel like an opportunity. Do you feel like these events are important? I do. I, I think that any kind of commemoration is very important. And I think 
that's part of the conversation, like the larger conversation that is sparked by discussion of what gets displayed in public, right? What are we commemorating? Why? Why is this statue here? What does this flag represent? What is this holiday about? It all matters. There's a reason why we do those things because it's, uh, it tells us something about who we are as a society. It tells us something about where we've been and where we're going, right? Um, and what I think is important about Martin Luther King Day, um, Black History Month, is that we use those times to make sure that we are not forgetting, right? That it doesn't become stale, um, especially in the case of Martin Luther King Day, that we're not just saying the same old quotes, right? But not applying it to what's happening today. Um, in the case of Black History Month, are we recognizing that Black history is a part of world history, not just American history, but world history and ongoing history? Um, I think I think it's good to have times for that um, if we apply it in the right way. Bree Newsom, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. Bree Newsom is an artist and activist. She'll be speaking at Iowa State University on Monday at 6 p.m. in the Great Hall of the Memorial Union, an event that is open to the public. She'll be giving the 2023 Martin Luther King Jr. keynote. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. Our producers are Samantha McIntosh, Caitlin Troutman, and Danny Gear. I'm Charity Nebbe. This is Talk of Iowa.